The first reading is from Joel, chapter 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never before been seen, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, concentrate, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? The psalm this evening is Psalm 103. Please read it responsibly by half verse. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love Who satisfies you with good. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. This place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, and those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. Anyone who do his word, 
obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Gospel of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? O God, without whose beauty and goodness our souls are unfed, without whose truth our reason withers, consecrate our lives to your will, giving us such purity of heart, such depth of faith, and such such steadfastness of purpose, that in time we may come to think your own thoughts after you, through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. That was prayer 75 for holy thought in the prayer book, if anybody's keeping score at home. Once I was at St. Helena's for Ash Wednesday, and a 20-something-year-old came out of the service, uh, having told us that it was his first Ash Wednesday, and uh, he said, do they look cool? I think he missed the point. Uh, you see, in the reading that we have for today, that tends to always fall on Ash Wednesday, there is a reminder of the true purpose of fasting. And uh, I would point us to that. You know, there are plenty of churches that, because of this reading, 
do not have a tradition of Ash Wednesday. Uh, see it as uh, going against the grain of this passage from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, they see it as uh, for, for the praise, of your, from, praise from your neighbors, you've uh, uh, observed the discipline of the church. And I would say to you that that is uh, what I would call a live risk and a danger for our congregation, uh, for us, partially because of how public and close to residences we are. Uh, that we have to be careful not to seek after the praise of our neighbors or be given extra credit for being good Christians in their midst. Uh, and I'll get into more of that later. What we need to be focused on is what, is go- what would God have us do and how do we give glory only to him? Uh, I'll tell you uh, an illustration from Anthony the Great, who was uh, considered to be one of the first monastics or the, where the monks came from. Uh, so he was uh, in the year 251 AD. That's a long time ago. Uh, when he was about 20, his parents died and left him in the care of his unmarried sister. And shortly thereafter, he decided to follow the gospel exhortation in Matthew 19:21: If you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Uh, we have treasure in heaven in this passage as well. So Anthony gave away some of his family lands to his neighbors and sold the remaining and then donated the funds to the poor, and then he set off to live the life of an ascetic. Uh, He placed his sister with a group of Christian virgins in the commune. Anthony maintained a very strict ascetic diet. He ate only bread, salt, and water, never meat or wine, and he ate mostly once a day and sometimes fasted two, two to four days at a time. After 15 years of this life, at age 35, he wanted to withdraw in, uh, fully from the habitations of men. Before that, he was living in a tomb in a graveyard. Uh, in absolute solitude, he went into the desert by a mountain uh, in, by the Nile, and he lived strictly enclosed in an old abandoned Roman fort for some 20 years. Food was thrown to him over the wall, and at times he was visited by pilgrims whom he refused to see, but gradually a number of would-be disciples established themselves in caves and in huts around the mountainside, Thus, a colony of ascetics were formed who begged Anthony to come forth and be their guide in their spiritual life. Eventually, he yielded, and about the year 305, he emerged from the fort. To the surprise of all, he appeared not to be emaciated, but healthy in mind and in body. For five or six years, he devoted himself to the instruction and organization of the great body of monks that had grown up around him. I've always found it fascinating in church history. You see it time and time again. When people decide that they need to remove every distraction from their spiritual life and go be by themselves, always people come out to them. Uh, it's, it's almost automatic that that happens. And here, uh, Anthony the Great is uh, one of those uh, such people. It's almost as though he lived a Lenten life, that he just kind of fully embraced what Lent is about as a manner of being for the, the rest of his whole life. Uh, All of this for his desire to be close to God and to follow God's instructions. Uh, So therefore, he was privately righteous. He wasn't doing it for the sake of others, and yet it had an impact on others necessarily. So we need to watch out for the temptation uh, of making a show of being Christian. Now, while I hope the reputation of our church becomes more and more associated with the virtues of Jesus, to be generous, loving, to see the least and the lost and to care for them, we must also remain vigilant that the glory goes to God alone and not to our own heads. We only have to give also what God has first given us, whether it's money or health or even our love. 
As Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That, would be, that should be our sole motivator in the work that we do as the church and as Christians who live in Braes and in Habersham. Uh, it says also, it says uh, in our passage, as he rebukes the practice of the Pharisees, it says that when they make a public show of their faith, he says they have already received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, secret will reward you. So I ask, what is the nature of the reward that Jesus is bringing up here? And why would that be appropriate reading for Ash Wednesday? And I would say that it uh, reminds us of the shortness of our mortal lives. And it would uh, help us see that putting our priorities on this life makes them misplaced, which will come to also, as he says, store up for your treasure in where uh, thieves cannot break in and steal. You see, all throughout Scripture, we are reminded of the flimsiness of the nature of our mortal life. Uh, words like chaff and dust and ash are all used, even grass clippings are used to describe what it is like to be a mortal human. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, God spoke and said to Adam and Eve, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Which is what we will say to you in a moment as we put ash on your forehead. The purpose of Ash Wednesday is to remind you of the shortness of life, and to therefore turn to where rewards can truly last. This is literal. You know, I have seen people uh, in this congregation who I have loved, who have died, turned into ash and poured into the water off the Habersham dock. Moments later, there was no more any trace of their remains. This is an important lesson to remember, and one that I think doesn't fit the culture of our day. In fact, I had a friend in the clergy who uh, wanted to start a grief share program up in the neighborhood of Nexton outside of Somerville. And he went to the, uh, the powers that be of this new neighborhood and said, uh, I'd like to offer grief share here. This is, of course, the ministry that Claudia is associated with uh, that, that meets downtown if you uh, have, uh, are in need of that ministry. But he went and explained what it was and why he wanted to do it and that it wouldn't be free of charge and uh, an additional benefit to the community that was emerging in that new development. And they said, you know, Nexton is really more about life and joy, and that doesn't really fit our image of that we're trying to present. So we're not going to allow you to offer that in our spaces here. Uh, this was the same reason that I had a, a prayer book instructor in seminary who was the Reverend Martha Gilton, and who was incredible, and God rest her soul, she died to cancer. But she was teaching us about burial, and she told us how much she hated how the funeral uh, uh, parlors set out astroturf underneath the chairs and around the grave. She said, that, that's missing the point. And you're hurting people's ability to grieve well once they realize that their loved one is going into the dirt. Anything that separates them from the concept that this is dirt and that this is a dead person and that they do need to mourn is hurting them. Anyway, I think it's a, an apt lesson and one that we're like to miss if we believe the lie that the world is telling us, which is, this life goes on and on, and it'll never end. 
don't worry about your life, you'll be fine. Uh, that helps us miss the point. As I said in one of my Ash Wednesday servants previously, when Bishop Lawrence and I walked out of St. Michael's after my cousin John's ordination, tourists were all through the graveyard, and he just yelled out, are you considering your own mortality? <laughs> he was a strong presence. Another metaphor that Jesus will use besides uh, uh, ash and dust is one that I'm much closer to. Uh, it's, it says uh, in Matthew 7, the next chapter that we've, after the one we have, he talks about sand. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like, will not, uh, excuse me, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. What it brought to mind for me was sandcastles, is that what I think the heart of the passage that we have today in the, in the gospel is that our lives in this world, in the mortal world, are like sandcastles. And you can build a very big and ornate sandcastle. In fact, I've seen it. You know, every day of the summer for six years, I worked at the beach on Seabrook at Camp St. Christopher, and week to week, the beach changed dramatically. Sometimes there'd be a large trench or a, a place that would gather water or the dunes would be uh, cut off in a sheer way from some storm or a big tree would wash up and it would be there for a month and then it would be gone. Or old pieces of boat and boards, uh, all these things would be on the beach and then next week they were not there. And every Friday, the campers would go and communally build sandcastles as one of the activities. They'd have big shovels, massive sandcastles. Six hours later, it was like they were never there. The tide took them all away. I believe that that is what our lives are like here if we try to make that where our treasure and our, where our rewards really lie. Storing treasures or building your identity and legacy here in the mortal life is a mistake like building a house on sand. Now, several of you have uh, uh, told me, and I agree with you, that the good news about our church building right now is it's not going anywhere. It's not built on sand at all. Uh, any, nothing's going to knock that steel over. And yet, even that building will not last eternally. Uh, so we need to keep in mind how, uh, the, where our rewards truly are, and that is in the next life. And I bet in the next life, I've been thinking about what the treasures are in the next life, and I presume that there's probably no currency in heaven. So I don't think it's going to be a large bank account uh, in the heavenly places. I think the rewards that are of real and eternal value are God's love and the blessing that it is to live in a community that is unstained by sin. I believe that's the kind of reward that we're in store for, and it's the best thing that can be. And it got me thinking, who, if Gregory the Great is a good example of Lent, who is the, the, the counterpoint? Who is the one who has built a, a grand sandcastle in this life? And what happened to that person? So I've been uh, reading about pirates in the Indian Ocean. I'm, I'm on this nonfiction kick. You noticed, one, week after week, I've got some sailing story. Henry Every uh, was uh, a British pirate that was in the Indian Ocean in September of 1695. And he knew that every year uh, the Muslims made a pilgrimage to Mecca and would be coming out of this, that uh, narrow strip of water to return home. And he uh, waited for them and uh, pirated that ship. And if you take in the pound sterling uh, and convert it to today's dollars, the estimated haul was $120 million. 
in today's money. But there was a problem with this money. In fact, that money almost had a curse on it, in a manner of speaking. They split it amongst all the pirates, but none of them could really spend it. Because of the impact that that robbery had meant that the two nations, England and the nation that he had robbed, were almost on the brink of war. They detained every British citizen they could for 11 months, and they put uh, taxes on uh, and uh, uh, the different sanctions on the trade between the countries. So the issue was that the, even England labeled them all enemies of humanity that should be hanged upon sight. And any time a, a British sailor who had a pocket full of diamonds went to go sell them, they would immediately hang. They had all this money, and they couldn't spend it. In fact, they all had to take up fake identities if they wanted to survive and pretend like they didn't have any money at all. What was the point? Where did they store up their treasure? Where it could be stolen, like they had done. So, therefore, the practice of Lent is a healthy medicine for us who are tempted in all these ways and who are easily distracted. Uh, I could say that today life has gotten so busy that one might be willing to say, I'm too busy to be a Christian. Now, they wouldn't say it, but that would be the sentiment, perhaps. And yet, if we pull up our phones, it gives us a report of how much screen time we had that week. And it's a troubling amount, usually, for me anyway. Uh, we do have time, if we are diligent with the practice of purging away the things in our life that are extra, or pulling us in the wrong direction. And the idea of fasting or giving something up is all about that is so that you have more time and more space in your life to focus on what God is saying to you, so that your life can be dedicated on the reward that is to come, rather than building the castle in the sa of sand in this life. All this is important, to devote ourselves to the practices of Lent, to purge away distractions, to focus on God, to pay no attention to praise from other people, to give glory to God alone and stay humble. All of that is important, and I, and I uh, invite you to, to move in that direction. However... None of that matters compared to the most important thing is that what we remember in Lent is that Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days to prepare for the work that was ahead of him, which was to go to the cross and die so that our sins could be forgiven and to be raised again and open the tomb so that we could live forever eternally and not just be the dust that flows away in the creek. I'll end with Romans chapter 6, verse 8. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen.